everybody, and welcome back to the New York Mets 101 podcast. Yeah, it's been a while, but we're back and very excited to be sharing our thoughts and opinions about this amazing baseball team. This podcast is designed to share with you some of the history of the Mets and how they came into existence, and then to throw in our two cents on where the team is now and where they might be headed. My name's Jim Burns, a Met fan since 1962, and I've rejoiced when this team won. And when I was a little boy, I got sick when I saw them lose. But, you know, we love this team. We want you to enjoy this team with us. And we're going to be discussing the current state of the team. And as the season wears on, maybe their last game or series and probably go on a rant of some sort. So enjoy the show as we cover over 60 years of Mets baseball. You know, there's a uh, something that happens when you do something for a period of time uh, and you're not even sure if what you're doing, people are enjoying or people are liking until you stop doing it. Uh, and I became absolutely disillusioned during the COVID season when we were watching games with mannequins in the seats and the Dodgers won 50 games and they ended up winning the World Series. And I, I stopped doing the podcast. And then I started to get a few messages from some people saying, hey, are you going to start this thing up again? And, and then I got a message from one guy, and he said to me, if you need any help starting it up, let me know. And that guy, his name is Ryan Mucha. And... He is my partner in crime right now as we see what we could do with this Met team and what types of discussions we're going to have. But Ryan, I am so thrilled to have you with me. You have no idea. I'm glad to be here, Jim. Uh, you know, when I messaged you, I figured I was kind of taking a shot in the dark. I didn't really know how big your podcast was or, or if you were kind of like a minor celebrity or something. I was like, oh, I'll just shoot him a message. And worst thing that happens is he doesn't see it, you know? And then mm. uh, eventually you got back to me. And obviously we started chatting a little bit. And then uh, in more recently, we we decided like, hey, 2023 is the year. Like, let's let's get back into it. We did a little prep work and here we are. So I'm happy to be here. I am thrilled to have you. And, you know, I have to publicly thank you for your patience with me. I mean, not everybody knows, as you know it, but I'm six weeks out right now from quadruple bypass. Uh, and uh, last week I had to cancel the show because I ended up going into the emergency room on Sunday night. It was nothing. It was merely some sternum pain. I am in great shape, uh, really. Again, I'm blessed. I'm thrilled. And I thank you for your patience. I really do. No problem, man. I, I, I'm glad you're feeling better. And I'm glad you're doing well, because with the state of the team right now and the new ownership and stuff, uh, I, I think that we might be excited to do this for a while to come. You know, like the, the fandom is reignited in me as of late. Oh, they're rabid. They're, they're looking. They, they want a, a championship. We want a championship. There's no question about it. I th the question that I have is. Is and I know that Cohen is spending money. I, I know it. He and he spent a lot of money on a lot of 
depth pieces. He spent money on a lot of guys that are going to start the season down in the minors and so on. I think my biggest concern about this team right now is the starting rotation. Uh, for some reason, I just get a little antsy about Scherzer and Verlander. What What do you think? There's definitely a lot riding on it. And I think statistically, we have the oldest rotation in all of baseball. Um, I think it's a 50-50 kind of a crapshoot, you know? Like, if, if they stay healthy and we think and we get what we thought we were getting, then I think we have one of the best rotations in baseball, if not the best. But there's a chance that a, a good chance that a couple months into the season, you know, our rotation looks totally different because a couple of our older guys are on the sidelines. You know, and Cohen has this way of doing things where he gives these short term contracts for a lot of money. So he knows that he can, you know, have a guy for a couple of years like Scherzer. He's got him for three years. Verlander, he's got him for two years. And then he figures they're going to be, you know, at the end of the line. And if they happen to go someplace else, that's fine. And we don't have, I think, in, in looking at it, I mean, I'd have to look at, let me take a look at something here. Uh, let's see, our pitchers. Well, we do have, we do have McGill. I don't know half of these guys. Nagozik, I saw him pitch. He was a relief pitcher. I like this guy, Brooks Raley. He's out of the bullpen. Yep, lefty. Uh, uh, and uh, Senga, I, I I didn't see. Did you see him pitch his first spring training game? I saw some clips online. Um, I think he gave up one run, had a couple strikeouts over two innings, I believe. Um, he said that he he was having a bit of a hard time adjusting to the the new pitch clock. And that kind of rattled him a little bit. But overall, he didn't look terrible. The size of the ball is a little bit different, too, in the majors, isn't it, as opposed to Japan? I believe it is. Yeah, I think ours is a little bit bigger. How, you know, we have, I I, I don't know who's going to be the, the starter for uh, the start the season. But it's rather interesting that... Um, Peterson got hurt and McGill's going to step right in again as he did last yeah. year. Yeah. He actually got the opening day start last year. Um, I would think that we're going to go with Scherzer just because he has a little bit more seniority on the team. I don't really think it's going to make much of a difference, which one of the, you know, Scherzer or Verlander we, we tried out there game one, but I think they might just give it to him because he's been around for a year already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I also think that um, anytime we see Degrom pitch like a good game for Texas, we're going to be like, oh wow, you know, look at what we missed, you know, and so on. But you know, Texas paid him for what he did with the Mets. I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to do with with Texas, and I'm not convinced that he's going to stay healthy for the entire year. I'm not. Uh, you know, I, he, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jim. No, go ahead. It's all right. I think he's a fragile ex. I really do. I think he's going to get hurt at some point. I do think he is kind of fragile. I've been thinking that for a while because just the, the way he throws and the velocity and force that he throws with, he's, he's obviously got a very thin frame. He doesn't have a lot of muscle on his body. 
and that is just wreaking havoc on his shoulder and his uh, his scapula, I guess, or his shoulder blade there. I think that he might be a little less hesitant as far as like injuries moving forward. He he knew that he was going to need another big contract at some point in his career, and I believe, and I believe over the last year or so, he was pretty confident that he was going to opt out with the Mets. So he always had that in the back of his mind. He said, I want to compete. I, I would like to help this team win. But at the end of the day, I need to make sure I can still sign another deal. And now he's got that deal, which unless he turns out to have the longevity of Verlander or Scherzer, it's probably going to be the last deal of his career. I think he's going to be a little bit more willing to kind of roll the dice on certain things and play through injuries. That being said, though, I think that deal is five guaranteed with an option some sort of mutual option for the sixth year. Um, DeGrom's going to be 35 this year. So, I mean, he could be on that deal until he's 41. Like, there's no way that they're getting their money's worth from six seasons from now, you know, like maybe even three or four seasons from now. They're hoping that if they sign him five years guaranteed, they're going to, you know, ideally you get 140, 150 starts out of that guy. I'm thinking they're lucky if they get 100, you know, and it's probably going to be within the first couple seasons and the last, you know, he'll just be kind of dead weight on that payroll. And I don't understand why Texas did what they did. They're not close. They're not close to like a championship or, or something like that. And they ended up spending this money on this guy over and and they're going to, and you're right. They're going to get stuck with this long-term deal where the guy may not even pitch the last two years of his contract because he's either going to be injured or he's not going to be able to give you the innings that you need. And they're not close to a championship, yet they signed him to this multi-million dollar deal. And I, and I can't understand it. I, I really don't. I don't know why. I don't think they they're close. That I wouldn't be surprised if they do eke out a, a wild card spot this season. I don't think they're anywhere. they're threatening a World Series run or anything yet, but I think they could be in the next mm-hmm two or three seasons they have a lot of young guys that that seem like they have some serious potential um and they pretty much revamped the entire rotation this year on couple year deals so i guess they're hoping that um plus obviously they have Semyon and seager that they signed last year or the last Mm -hmm. year or two so they kind of have all the pieces there they just need their young guys to pan out maybe they you know replace a starter at some point a little bit of bullpen help but you know at a trade deadline but I don't think they're that far, Jim. I, I, obviously, they're in a division that the Astros are powerhouses there, and now it seems the Mariners are, are pretty good also. So it's not there's not like a clear uh, path to the playoffs, but I could see it happening. Mm. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with with him with uh, with that club. You know, the other there's so many questions that I have, uh, and. And I'm sure you do as well. I mean, you've been going over some of the minor league statistics. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you looked at Beatty's statistics yet, but he seems to be someone that's coming along pretty well. His spring training stats so yeah, far? Yeah, yeah, the spring he, training stats. He looks phenomenal. He's leading, the, he's leading the team in several offensive categories, and and he's playing a lot too, like – there's other guys that are doing great as far as batting average and stuff, but they haven't gotten a ton of at bats. Beatty's played in every game and he's leading the, he's in like the top three as far as home runs, um, OPS, 
batting average, RBIs. Like obviously it's spring training and can't really speak to the quality of pitchers that he's facing because I'm sure he's facing teams that they're just trying guys out as well. But for what it's worth, he's tearing it up in Fort St. Lucie. So I, he still has to work on his defense a bit, though. It seems like he's making some uh, kind of bonehead plays over at third base there. I don't know if it's more of a mental block or he's just nervous, but he's got some work to do there. Well, he was working with Tulowitzki in the offseason, and, and what uh, Tulowitzki said is he just needs reps. He needs a lot of reps in order to really figure out how to play third base. My, my thought on Beatty is this. We're going to lose Canna next year. He, this is his sure. last year with us. I, I'd, I'd say take Beatty, put him in left field, and leave him there for 10 years. That's that's what I would do with him. Yeah, I, I, I think that might have been a better plan a couple weeks ago, but we, I think a lot of us were, you know, there was the implication that next year at the offseason we were going to go out, or by next year we would have a, a big league third baseman. And those guys are off the table now. You know, Correa is mm-hmm. locked up. Devers resigned. Machado resigned. So there really isn't anybody that's going to come in and all of a sudden be our major league third baseman, unless it's a homegrown guy or somebody that isn't on our radar yet and hasn't really gotten good yet. Yeah, you, you know, the Mets have like a bad habit sometimes of not recognizing their their own talent. Uh, I can remember back in the it was in it was in the seventies. We ended up trading a guy named Amos Otis to the Kansas City Royals for Joe Foy, who the Royals couldn't wait to get rid of because he was he was a basically an addict. And Amos Otis became an all-star with Kansas City. Uh, there was a guy named um, I can't think I, uh, and, and it slips my mind. Um, Jeremy, he was a left he was a right fielder. Burnitz. Burnitz, you got it. And he couldn't hit the water if he fell out of the boat with the Mets. We traded him to Milwaukee. He became an all-star. And my fear is we don't recognize our talent. We've got a lot of talent in the minors. And and I did not know it. We're ranked number five in terms of our our minor league system right now. Yeah, I think I think we are now because if you've noticed since Cohen came in, he he really has the last trade that we made that sent out um, any kind of you know high prospect was w- terrible trade in my opinion when we traded uh, Pete Crow Armstrong at the deadline at twenty one uh-huh. for uh, Javi Baez and that was before Epler came in that was Cohen's first season we haven't done anything like that in almost two years now but whatever they have in the farm they're keeping it. And that's why they're signing these guys on these short-term deals in the hopes that in the near future, we're going to have a robust farm system that really pans out and these guys are field ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the the interesting thing, they've been writing about that. I mean, you could see it in um, like, like, cause I get a lot of stuff sent to me like on rising Apple and different things. And they said that trade is going to really affect us. Uh, And I did not know that Crow Armstrong was that good. And uh, and I know that he, he, when he did get traded, he was injured when he got traded. But the Cubs took him anyway, and I think he's going to be a stud for them. And we don't even have Baez, and Baez is stinking it up anyway with Detroit, so it doesn't really matter. Um, 
So that's that's a really good point. I mean, look at this guy. I mean, I don't know if they're gonna they're gonna take some of these stud players. I mean, look at Mauricio. I I never you know I never saw him play until this year when I saw him play with uh, he was playing shortstop. That kid can hit. I didn't know that he could hit that well. I read somewhere that he put on about, I think, like 30 or 40 pounds in the last year or so. Because he's pretty young. I think he's like 20, 21 or something. So he's been in the farm system, and I've been hearing about him for a year, you know, probably like two years or so. But always, way, you know, you hear Vientos, Beatty, Alvarez. Those are the guys that you hear about. Mauricio was, you know, like the next guy behind them. Um, but then he put on a bunch of muscle in the last year or so. And then I really started seeing him at the Winter League, like when he was playing down in Dominican Republic. And all of a sudden, this guy was just hitting moonshots on a daily basis. And it started to become a possibility that he might actually affect the roster soon. The problem mm -hmm. is a couple of those guys that we have, they're all playing basically the same positions. And we have, uh, you know, we have Lindor locked up for a decade. Obviously, McNeil's our second baseman, but he's got some utility in him. We can move him around. But then we have two guys that play third base and one guy that plays short base, uh, shortstop. I don't know what we're going to do with all those guys. we got to reposition them or something. Yeah, but therein lies the point that I'm making. We end up making these – we sign players. We sign Lindor. I mean, Lindor is a fine player. Don't misunderstand me. And I'm very happy that we have him. Uh, but then they they do they they create such a a, a logjam at that shortstop nobody else can come in now for ten years, yeah. and it, Mauricio may be uh, a guy that's that, that could have played that position within the next few years, but I we, we wanted to make sure that we had a, a solid shortstop and we we ended up with Lindor and the two guys that we traded, I think they did a fine job uh, in Cleveland as well. Uh, I the, uh, yeah it's um. What are their names? It's Rosario, and then the other I'm one Rosario. was. Uh, yeah, what's the, and the, then the other the, kid that second baseman? What's his name again? Wow, I can't can't believe I'm drawing a blank. It was uh, Jimenez. Jimenez. Andres Jimenez. Yep. Yeah. He looks good. He was an all star this year. A stud, a stud, and but they wanted both of them, and we gave them both. Uh, and I'm not sure that was during Cohen's initial. Was season, like I believe that was within a couple of weeks of Cohen officially buying the team, and I think, I think he just wanted to show the fans and the league that this is the dawn of a new era. So he just made a, a huge blockbuster deal. It hurt. It definitely hurt seeing Jimenez more than uh, Rosario. Rosario, I never really had a problem with him. Rosario reminds me of how people used to talk about Nimmo. All of a sudden now everybody loves Nimmo and he's our great center fielder. And I really do like having him. But up until about a year ago, people regularly talked about him as if he was a disappointment and he was not the caliber of player that needs to be in center field at this prime position. And that's pretty much how they talked about Rosario too. Meanwhile, he's batting 290, 285 every year. He'd hit you, you know, 13, 15 home runs, steal a couple bases, Played decent shortstop. He, he he wasn't he wasn't threatening MVP or anything, but he was a pretty solid player. But they just uh, I don't know. I guess they expected a lot more out of that position. Mm, yeah, the thing that I liked about Nimmo, though, I mean, this guy puts in the time and he and he really gives you the effort. Uh, I, I I must say that I love the hustle. I love even I know it's silly, but even running the the first base on a walk 
it just shows like the work ethic that he has, you know? Yeah, it does. And, you know, and you, over the, like, you never heard of anyone, like, a five-tool player. I mean, speed is in there. Nimmo, I, I never saw him as a five-tool player, but he knew that he had to improve in terms of his speed. And he did, he worked with people to improve how fast he could go back on balls, which I, I thought was something that you could never do. I didn't think you could ever run faster once, you know, you give you, you got a God-given ability to run as fast as you could run. I didn't think that he was going to be able to run any faster than he did. His fielding has improved exponentially in the last few seasons. He really has worked hard at it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's... I have a couple of interesting questions because I I honestly believe did I don't know if you saw the article and I could have I may it may have been wrong but I think it was right that Acuña Jr was unhappy with the Braves because they the Braves didn't want him to go to the World Baseball Classic. I saw that and then I saw it disappear pretty quickly. Like it, it, he was on within a day or two it was he was unhappy. There was rumors he was unhappy then all of a sudden he requested a trade, and then I never heard anything else about it. Mm, because they, they, the the general manager said he'd be willing to trade him in the division. And uh, I could only imagine what would happen in Braveville if the Mets ended up with Acuna Jr. <laughs> they, they would... They would really hold us over a barrel if we tried to trade for him. Like, they would just destroy us. And, and Epler and Cohen are pretty... They're pretty firm in that they will not – they have a plan. It's to hold on to our prospects, sign a couple guys in the near future. And uh, obviously I think they they would all they would deviate from that plan for the right player. I think they were probably willing to do it for Soto last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was similar. The Nationals knew it was in division, and they were expecting more from us, which I think most teams are. I think a lot of teams are just generally unhappy with Cohen and what he's doing, so they, they're they trying to exploit that. So they're, you know, Epler didn't really get great grades as far as his deadline moves last year. Not to sound like I'm just defending the guy, but I don't really think he had any options that were not going to completely deplete us for, you know, a relief pitcher. Like, everybody was really trying to take advantage, and I'm pretty sure the Braves would definitely do that. Yeah, yeah, they, they'd skin us alive. And, you know, I – firmly believe that Cohen is not done by any means. And I think he's waiting to see where this team is come June, July, when we start get to get close, we start getting close to the deadline to see, you know, what they need and who they can get. Uh, because this guy, you know, he will spend his money and he's, I mean, he's basically pissed everybody off, but he, you know what he said? I don't care. I want to. I want to win, and that's all there is to it. If you look at, uh, there was an article that Freddie Freeman was in, where he said, "You know what? Cohen wants to win. Leave him alone. I think it's a great thing what he's doing. He's spending his money and he's trying to build a championship." So, well, yeah, the players love him because he's the kind of guy that he drives up the prices for players. He's making other owners and GMs seem a bit more competitive, so now they're willing to sign guys. So players are like are going to love Cohen. It's the owners that have a problem with them. Yeah. Yeah, the owners. They, they, because, they, you know, look, look at the, uh, I mean, if like a team like Tampa Bay or Pittsburgh, how do you compete with that? 
you you can't. You you don't have the money to do it. Uh, so, of course, they're going to whine a little bit, you know, and and complain. Speaking of Cohen spending money, what do we think Alonzo's worth? Um, he he's a little bit younger than I was. So I was looking at some other contracts that first baseman got. Um, he's a little bit younger than some of the guys that I was looking at, so I don't think he would – like most guys are getting like seven or eight years. I think uh, – that's what like Freeman and Olsen seem to got, get was – I think I think Freeman got seven, Olsen got eight, both in the high 20s, uh, 20-something mil per year AAV. So mm-hmm. I think like 25 to 28 million a year is probably – what's expected. It's just the amount of years that they would give him. Um, he's going to be a free agent after the 24 season and he'll be 29 at that time, but he, he'll turn 30 within a couple months. I mean, we don't really rely on his defense. It's, it's probable. It's pretty probable that he's going to just be a DH at some point down the line. So I had, I would have no problem giving him a 10 year deal because even if he's a 39 year old guy who just DHs. I'm pretty sure he could still be like a Nelson Cruz type player and hit you 35 home runs, you know? So yeah. uh, if we gave him 10 years, 250, like I'd be okay with that. What was the guy I'm trying to think with, and just thinking of DHs, he, he played, Oh, Edgar Martinez, Edgar yeah, Martinez. Whole career he, as a DH. Almost. The whole career. Did he make the hall of fame? He did. Yeah. It was a, I think it was like fourth or fifth ballot or something, but yeah, he's in there. Was he he was he case zero? No, the first DH was Ron Bloomberg. We we know that. Okay, but but uh, Edgar Martinez, his entire career, he was a, a designated hitter, and that guy could flat hit. I think he played a little bit of third base in his early early career, but pretty quickly became a DH. Mm. My name is Jim Burns. I'm with Ryan Mucha. You're listening to. Uh, the New York Mets 101 podcast. Uh, yeah, we're back and we're going to give this a shot and we're, and I think it's going to be great. I, I really do. Uh, so th- there's so what, what questions do you have about this club? I really, you know, I have a bunch of stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm, re- I'm worried about Marte, you know, is he going to be ready? Uh, I'm worried that we may have missed a boat or we may have overpaid for Senga a little bit. Uh, what, what do you? What questions do you have about this club that are like on your mind? I, I definitely think the age and health concerns is the, is the biggest worry for Marte. For even though Nimmo was healthy last season and pretty healthy in twenty twenty one, I still worry about Nimmo. Um, he doesn't seem to get serious injuries. He just seems to get a lot of little injuries regularly. You know, like hand issue, finger issue. Neck, the neck thing was pretty serious a couple of years ago. I'm still worried about his durability, um, and obviously the rotation, like we talked about. Um, as far as Senga, I don't think we overpaid just because we got him at five years, fifteen mil a year, which obviously to me and and I'm assuming to you, Jim, fifteen mil is a lot, but I don't think that's a big deal in Major League Baseball. You know, even if he even if he's a complete bust and he's just dead weight on the payroll, 15 isn't enough, especially with Cohen as an owner, that I, I think it's really going to hurt us or mm-hmm. it's going to prohibit him from making other moves, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
definitely have uh, the, my main concern this offseason was I think we did get a little bit better, but the main thing that we re- like we had to replace a bunch of guys that we lost in free agency, which we did. But even with replacing those guys and kind of staying equal to last year, last year offensively, we were kind of hit or miss, you know, mm-hmm. no pun intended. You know, like sometimes we were great and we were scoring a bunch of runs and we were firing all, on all cylinders. But at the end of the year, when it counted the most, our bats were silent and we didn't really do anything offensively this off season. We got Tommy Pham, you know, like we, we, we got Omar Narvaez, nobody that, that seems like on the surface is going to make a big difference to the lineup, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? I couldn't agree with you more. I had been waiting. I know, you know, I know we signed Nimmo. We have him and we made a couple of big splashes the season before with Canna and Marte. I, I know we did that. And then we got Scherzer. And I think Scherzer was the marquee piece that attracted other players to maybe want to play in New York. But I've been, I was waiting this entire, and I thought Korea, uh, Korea was the guy. Uh, I had been waiting all winter for the one big bat. The one big bat, you know, that, that, that we knew we could slot him in right by right in back of Alonzo or in front of Alonzo or wherever we put him, you know, for a little protection and somebody that guaranteed give you 30 home runs. Like in 86, you know, we had Hernandez already, but we got the one guy in the offseason. We got Gary Carter, and he made all the difference. He made all the difference, and that's what I've, that's what I've been waiting for, and I haven't seen it yet, and that's the biggest concern I have, our, our hitting. These teams, these teams come up with players that can flat hit. They develop hitters. We are now in a position where, you know, we don't have, we have one big guy that we developed and and there's no one else that I can see that's going to hit 35 home runs or even 28 to 30 home runs. So I'm hoping that we come up with somebody maybe by the deadline. And I don't know who it's going to be. I have no idea, but we're going to need somebody. That's for sure. If we're, if we're, unless we get, we're going to end up getting stuck like we got stuck last year down in Atlanta, losing three games in a row. You know, and as the offseason went on, my expectations or my, my hopes for who that bat was going to be just kept getting lower and lower. Like, obviously, at the beginning of the offseason, even though he was not even on our radar, you have those little, like, oh, maybe Judge, you know, like maybe somebody like that. And then mm-hmm. it seemed like it was going to be Correa for a while. And then even before that officially fell through, so I had a moment, maybe like an hour or so of excitement. I remember I remember seeing one night that uh, they didn't officially announce him in San Francisco. And then there was like you know something on Twitter that this doesn't really look good. Maybe something happened with the deal. And I, I went to bed and I remember thinking like, I think something's going to happen with this. And then I woke up and first thing I checked in the morning, it was like 6.30 in the morning, I saw the Twitter from in the middle of the night that we, we signed Correa. And I had about an hour of excitement. I drove to work. I talked to my buddy who's also a Mets fan. And then, like, reality kicked in. And I was like, well, if this – the Giants are a well-run organization. They're, they've been around for a while. They got a lot of money. They got a bunch of rings. Like, if they didn't feel confident signing them, what do we think is going to be different? What do we have, different doctors that have different criteria? Like, these are – medical professionals they're going to see the same stuff you know Mm -hmm. um and so i kind of 
I kind of knew that that was going to happen, or at least I had a pretty good feeling it would. And then the longer it dragged out, I knew, I just knew, I was like, it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. We're, we're not getting them. Um, So I wasn't totally upset with that either because I knew that there's gotta be something wrong with his leg. And it reminds me, I was going to mention it when we were talking about DeGrom earlier, but I figured this would come up at some point. Um, I think in 2023, maybe 2024, seeing Correa play for another team doing well, it might hurt. We might look at him and be like, you know, we should have had him. He could have been on our team. But beyond that, at some point, he's going to – that injury is going to have effects on his game, on the amount of time he's playing. And he's been a pretty injury-prone guy his whole career. And at some point, everybody's going to realize that passing on him was the right move. You're probably right, but what I want to know is why couldn't we shave that contract the way that Minnesota did and give them half of it rather than giving them the whole the whole loaf of bread? I don't understand that. I mean, they gave them they gave them basically half the contract, but it was guaranteed. So I I did think that what uh, eventually we saw what the um, restructuring of ours would have looked like with all the all the weird language that they put in there. It seemed a bit much. I could understand why he wouldn't want to sign that deal. It was basically, um, you know, you get a different, you get another physical every single year and you get like a prorated amount based on how many games you played and nothing about it seemed guaranteed. It was all basically, you know, we'll sign you for these years, but you're going to have to sing for your supper every single season. And he didn't want that. He went to Minnesota somewhere that he's already a little comfortable and took six years, 200 mil guaranteed. I don't even think we were offering that. They're yeah. probably going to regret that. That's like I think that's the, by far the biggest contract that Minnesota's ever given out. Yeah, they're also small market. That's correct. Yeah, they, they don't have they don't have the money. I mean, they built their stadium, but you know these clubs don't have that kind of money to spend. There's no doubt about it. And I, you know, and I have one last piece here that I I'm gonna uh, before we. Um, close the podcast and I I Jim Burns I want Alvarez to start the season in the majors I think that we he, he was down in the farm system I think that he could be I don't know what you do with three catchers but he could be a DH and he could catch occasionally and I think he should just be at the major league level I was absolutely ticked when they signed um Nervias, I think that's his name, when they signed him, and it was almost as if they weren't going to give Alvarez a shot, because uh, we, we do have uh, Nito, and I think he's a fine catcher, uh, there's no question about it, but I think Nito could have been the, the number one guy, Alvarez could have been, because that's what it is now, you got two catchers that you're using in, in the major league, so you don't wear one of them down completely, uh, but I think Alvarez should start the year in the majors, what do you think? Uh, he, I don't even think he's gotten in at bat in spring training yet. I'm not sure why, uh, I haven't heard anything about him being injured, but I was actually checking the spring training stats just a few minutes before you and I got on this. He has not played in spring training yet. So he has not, he has not played at all in spring training. Now, can you, and I don't understand why, I mean, what the hell? I mean, give him a shot behind the plate. He did have a neck injury. That I, I, I can, uh, something happened Recently? where he was, he was injured. It was last year 
for a foot yeah, injury. He had some he had, injury. He I know had that. an ankle injury toward the end of the season. Yeah, I definitely remember that one. You know, and I think that you got to give this kid, you got to give him, give him a shot. All these, you know, you look at the Braves. They bring players up. They're 21, 22 years old. They brought up Albies. They brought up that kid they, that's playing in center field right now. He's a Michael Harris. Michael Harris, real hot shot. You know, he can play. They give him a shot. And before you know it, the kids are uh, are basically stars because they make them earn earn their uh, earn their uh, way on the major league level. I think Alvarez should at least be and given a shot. And they're confident enough in their prospects that they just sign them long term right away. Obviously, much cheaper than they would eventually cost. So, business wise, it's a good decision. But there still has to be some confidence in who that player is and what they're going to do to give anybody a, a seven year extension. They gave that guy Michael Harris Jr. I believe a seven-year extension after he had he was in the league for about forty games or so, and they <laughs> right. just signed him for seven years. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. It was like, wait a minute, how old is he? Twenty-one. I mean, yeah. And and they gave him that extension. See, I, I think what they're worried about with Alvarez is that they'll they'll keep him at the major league level, and they'll ruin his confidence if they have to send him down. That that's. I, I don't know. I think you're right. I, I think they're, they are not worse. I think the same goes for Beatty. Like nobody's worried about their bats at all. I think offensively, everybody's pretty confident that they're ready, but they want them to feel good defensively because they don't want that to, to get in their heads and then ruin their game, which I believe was partially Edwin Diaz's problem. When he first came to the Mets, we knew that his stuff was electric. We saw what he did in Seattle and even most of the time, he was pretty lights out on the mound for us. But as far as a closer, you need you need better than most of the time, you know. And he just every once in a while, the head his it would get to his head, and he would just kind of melt down, and he would, you know, make some really poor pitches in big positions and, or big spots. So they're just worried about that kind of stuff with Alvarez and Beatty. They want to make sure that their full game is ready to go, so that way they are confident as well. Yeah. Do you do you remember? Diaz, I mean, we didn't want to even think about bringing this guy into a game. And and now, I mean, something happened. I don't know what happened. They, they grafted Koufax's arm on him or what went on, but his confidence level is through the roof. And he that slider is just on that slider is like like a Mariana Rivera pitch that you just can't hit. I remember specifically there was a game in 2019. We were playing the Nationals, and we were up 10-4 mm-hmm. in the ninth inning, and we collapsed and lost 11-10. to, uh, 11 to 10. I don't think uh, – I think it was Lugo and Diaz that gave up all the runs, but it was, it was Diaz that blew it, and then Lugo just kind of gave up those last couple runs, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah he's come a long way. I, and I think – you know who I think started that inning? I think it was a a kid named um, Bachelor. Uh, that kid, oh, anytime, anytime yep. he came in, first thing he did was give up a home run. Tyler Bachelor, I think his name was. Yeah, I mean, they'd bring him in. He could throw absolute bullets, but they were as straight straight as an arrow. And if and he came into the game, the first guy hits a home run every time. It never fail. That was Tyler. And I don't know where he is now. I don't even, where's Lugo now? I don't even know where he is. Lugo signed a, I believe a one year, $6 million deal with the Padres. 
And I think they're going to give him a shot at starter, but that's not really starter money. So I don't know exactly what they expect out of him. I think they're going to, part of the signing thing was, hey, we'll give you a shot at starter and that's what he wants. But I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes their long man in the bullpen, you know, kind of like we've been using, uh, what was that guy's name? Trevor or something for the last year or two. And he, where is he now? He's with the, he's with the Nationals, Nationals too, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and I thought, has not pitched in the pros since 2020, by the way. 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And that was right before what? That was right before COVID, right? Uh, the COVID season, he was briefly on the Pirates. And if you can't hack it on the Pirates, you probably can't make it in the pros. Yeah, you about had it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but he, he gave up his share of home runs. I'm going to throw out a couple of questions for our for our listening audience when they get a hold of this podcast and see if they can remember. And you know these answers, so we're not going to have you give any okay. answers. But Johnny Benz wants that of this catcher. If he was on our team, uh, I'd be playing third base. Who was it? Who was that guy who would be play, uh, who would be catching on the Reds and put Bench at third base? And then I have a serious question uh, that I'm going to share and that's this. And this is just something to consider. Ed Crane, who played his entire career with the Mets, he came to the Mets in the middle of the 62 season. He wasn't an original Met. Do you know what high school he came from in the Bronx? And also, based upon Cranepool's career, which spanned 17 years, should the Mets have an Ed Cranepool night? That's, and I believe they should, but, you know, everyone has a different opinion. My name is Jim Burns. I've been with Ryan Mucha. We've been doing the New York Mets 101 podcast. Ryan, I think we're going to do this every Monday. What do you think? Sounds good. Can't wait. Neither can I. We'll come up with some other great stuff to talk about. And once the season comes along, we're going to end up uh, we're going to end up doing some beefing and moaning based upon some of the moves that they're <laughs> going to make because we're going to be watching this team uh, at, at, from now until October or November, hopefully. But uh, we, we can't wait. I think this was a great pilot episode. And uh, once again, my name is Jim Burns. Ryan Mucha, thank you for being with me. And you've been listening to the New York Mets 101. Well, hi again, everybody. My name is Jim Burns. And thank you for listening to the New York Mets 101 podcast. We're going to be having new releases every Tuesday of new episodes of the podcast, and we encourage you to listen. Also, what we're going to be doing uh, very soon, we are going to be putting a link up on the New York Mets 101 podcast Facebook page where you can click on and you can join us live in the conversation. So keep an eye out for that. I will also post these uh, podcasts and these links on other New York Mets Facebook pages of which I do follow. So once again, thank you so much for listening. Okay, I hope you have a great day and we'll see you next week.